You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. I didn't really start writing for a long, long, long time. I was, you know, I was a classical musician. So I was very, very content performing other people's music. I was quite happy just being a little cog in a big machine, not being centre stage. You know, I was very happy not to write and not to... I never really explored it, to be honest. And then I started kind of playing around with... I thought, guitar, let's try guitar, right? Let's have a bash. Because I just thought sometimes I just had an urge to make more noise than I could ultimately with a kind of acoustic instruments but there is only so much so i thought i need to plug something in you know I need to press some buttons and create some disasters hey what's up vox and hops heads i'm matt the vocalist of cryptopsy and the host of the vox and hops metal podcast brought to you by sound telemedia and evergreen podcasts where i sit down with fellow metal musicians talk all about their lives and music while sharing a craft beer i hope you had a killer weekend i most certainly did this vox and hops episode is presented by heavy montreal heavy montreal is montreal's premier metal promoter and i'm very stoked to have teamed up with them to bring you brutal montreal 2023 this year's brutal montreal is taking place on april 15th at m Tele in my hometown, Montreal. This year's event will feature performances by Clutch, Amigo the Devil, and Nate Bergman. I am very stoked to announce the participating breweries for this year's event. I'm stoked to be showcasing killer products from Four Origins, Jutebox, La Paticaire, Le Fermentor, La Gabière, Trailway, and Overhop Canada. If you are planning on grabbing some tickets for Brutal Montreal 2023, well, you better grab your tickets very soon because they are simply disappearing. You can head on over to my website, voxandhops.com slash brutalmtl, and you'll be taken to the official page where you can grab some tickets. I'm beyond stoked to have Heavy Montreal behind the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. I'm very stoked that on today's Artist Spotlight, I'm going to be shining some light at Aklole. Aklole bridges black metal, death metal, and Ashkenazi culture to form the first authentic Yiddish extreme metal project. Get ready, everyone. Here is Aklole's Ibiker Ritual.
That was sweet. That was extreme. I really, really, really enjoyed that very, very much. Aklule, as I mentioned, is the first authentic Irish extreme metal project that hails from the Green Mountains in Vermont. They draw inspiration from Jewish texts and Ashkenazi folklore. Aklole's second album, Ibeka Ritual, is available now on Bandcamp. It dropped back on January 6, 2023. If you enjoyed this track, you should go check them out. I have put a link to their Bandcamp in the description of this podcast. Massive cheers to Aklole for being a part of today's Artist Spotlight. Now, before we jump into today's episode, I'd just like to ask you to follow the Vox and Hops Metal podcast on the podcast platform of your choice. But more than that, I would love for you to tell a friend about the podcast. If there's someone in your life that is just a killer songwriter, well, you should let them know that the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast exists. You can tell them that there are now 400 episodes where I sit down with some of the world's best metal musicians, and we talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you would encourage one of your killer songwriter friends to become a brand new Vox and Hops head, that would be something that I would truly appreciate. Now, today on the podcast, I'm extremely stoked to be with A.A. Williams. Get ready, everyone. This is Vox and Hops, episode number 400. I warn you, what you are about to hear is very disturbing indeed. Hey, what's up, everyone? Today, I'm very, very stoked to be with A.A. Williams. Uh, A.A., I'm, I'm such such a big fan. I've been such a big fan since I discovered you through Cult of Luna. I'm a big fan of Cult of Luna. They're eclectic tour packages. They took you out. I started listening to your CDs. Forever Blue came out, I think, even after that. And uh, Johan was on. I remember like listening to it in the moment. I was like hearing the harsh vocals on uh, Fearless, and I was like, Oh shit, that's that's yeah. that's called a Luna. And I was like, yes it is. And I like Googled and I was like, damn, I'm good. Amazing. This is so good. Big fan. Uh I named your most recent record as The Moon Rest as my top album of twenty twenty two. And and I it's truthful and we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. But start with a very simple how are you and how has twenty twenty three been treating you so far? I'm well. Thank you for such a kind intro. Um, I'm good. Thank you. I've been trying to take a bit of a break, to be honest. Um, Mm -hmm. My band and I did a lot of touring at the kind of middle to the end of last year. So everyone's just having a little breather and and enjoying not lugging stuff around, to be honest. We, we tend to bring more, well, like, Cryptopsy, I'm in Cryptopsy, right? So so we, 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 we try to downgrade is what we're trying to do. My drummer keeps removing pieces of his kit. That makes me happy. <laughs> we're uh, doing the absolute opposite. The absolute, I keep just texting my, <laughs> uh, texting my front of house going, so I'm going to bring another amp now, sorry. Uh, and, the, and also there's this loop thing and then there's this thing and he's just going, this desk can't do it. What are you doing, woman? But I just keep adding things and I try and like, Tetris it and say, oh, well, we can get rid of that thing, but we're bringing this new thing now. So at some point, someone's going to have to have a stern word with me about it, I'm sure. But yeah, we're in the acquisition stage, I think, not the uh, decommissioning stage. Keep having fun. Yeah. It is good to rest. It's important to schedule mm-hmm. oh, rest, yeah. people. I do it for the podcast myself. Uh, I take months off every three months, mm-hmm. and uh, it's I'm, it's wonderful for the creative aspect, Absolutely. for our mental health. Mm-hmm. There's a bunch of articles, actually, that have been coming out recently about artists burning out because it's very intense. What's good, we, we go through on tour. Mm-hmm. Most people, it's, it's fun. Like Obviously, we love it, but but the mental stress and, and what the wear and tear on our bodies is intense, so, so scheduling rest is important oh man it really is it really is vox and hops is all about hanging out with my metal friends talking about their life music and craft beer now 
what are you going to be drinking on your side today? It's not a beer because you said you're not much into beer. And I'd like to hear about that. What do, what do, you, what do you got on your side today? I have some tea. Uh, it is turmeric, lemon and green all together. And it's amazing. When I go on tour, I don't really drink much, to be honest, mainly in terms of kind of vocal preservation. But like you said, touring is really hard. There's a lot of work to do and not a lot of time sometimes. So I've never felt the urge to do that hungover, to be honest. I no. just feel like I would I would disintegrate pretty <laughs> soon. So I tend not to booze on tour. And to be honest, just a hot drink before stage is enough for me. So herbal tea is very comforting and, um, yeah, cheaper as well, to be honest, much cheaper. That is very true. And a nice warm tea before stepping on stage is a part of my routine as well. And it, it oh, just brilliant. seems to... Well, I think routines are important, really, right? Oh, absolutely, so, so absolutely. It sort of sets us into this mindset of we're going to mm. perform, and it's like a ritual, like brushing my hair, warming up, drinking tea. Doing yeah. your bits, drinking your tea, getting your hair right, getting everybody ready. It's like that kind of precious half hour before, you know, before we all go out there and do our thing. It's, it's very important. I'm into routine, so that's, that's fine with me. This is a uh, a massive beer Ooh, that I've cherry. had in my cupboard. Yes, a cherry Ooh, porter. Fancy, porter. Nice. No, I'm wrong. I'm totally wrong. It's a cherry wood smoked cherry stout. Pope's Creek, it's called, from uh, Stone nice. Corral. This was a gift uh, that I received from Mondial de la Biaia, which is uh, the World Beer nice. Fest here in Montreal. Oh, wow. I do a it bunch of stuff with them. Nice. This is a 8.6% cherry stout. Uh, I will crack this, pour it out. You're not much into drinking, but everyone has had a beer eventually. I'd love to hear about Absolutely. your first beer. Oh, first beer. Um, I have to say, I got to beer a bit late. I was kind of onto the spirits first, to be honest. I never really, especially when I was younger, I didn't really enjoy the taste of beer. So it took me quite a long time to kind of get into that. All my friends were drinking pints and I was on gin and tonic, which... So, yeah, I, I think it probably, oh, I don't know. I mean, the drinking age in the UK is 18. So I think probably I was about 19 or 20 before I really actually drunk beer out of choice, not just because it was what was at a party. Um, and I think, to be honest, at that point, it was pretty much anything really. Red Stripe, Foster's, lots of things that probably aren't particularly uh, revered. So I think nobody's first beer is the best beer. It's just a beer. Yeah, no, you know, I've so. been joking uh, with all my craft beer enthusiast friends and other beer podcast people that I hang out with sometimes. Like, could you imagine like our kids when they're going to sneak one of our beers finally and they're going to what are they going to think they're <laughs> going to take some some like cream of the crop craft beer and they're not going to appreciate it at all. They're still going to think it sucks because beer is an acquired taste much like that metal. face that yeah, that face that you pulled the face that I pull certainly when I drink red wine as well that I certainly think a lot of kids pull especially when it's their first kind of sneaking a swig or something that it shouldn't be nobody goes oh yum everyone goes you know there's there's that so imagine that with your 20 quid bottle of whatever it exactly. is exactly you know, it's a waste. It's a waste. It's a waste. It's a, don't do it, children. But um, as I yell at them in the distance, uh, this is really good. Uh, Pope's Creek. It's smooth. The cherry is subtle. Uh, it's not boozy at all. Um, light carbonation. It's it's delicious. Very cool. nice. Um, let's keep moving on to the question that I love. Uh, the soundtrack of your youth. When you're growing up in your parents or guardians house, what music was playing when you were not in control of the radio? What music did your parents or guardians listen when to? When I was not in control, um, Classic FM which is a classical music radio station in the UK. Um, I think it's you can do it digitally now across the world, but it was just in the UK. And that emerged when I was 
Mm, just before my teenage years. So my dad used to cook at home. He was a chef and he used to, um, he used to have that on the background all day long. Um, which as somebody who studied classical music was fine. Actually, I didn't find it a problem. I didn't dislike it. I didn't find it boring. It was good, you know. Um, and then my mother in the car, there was a lot of Led Zeppelin and Queen and, you know, kind of, you know, 70s, 80s rock, really. But not that much of it, you know, just a little bit here and there. Uh, at what point was there ever something that you brought into the house that was too much for your parents where they're like, you need to wear headphones for this one? <laughs> yeah, there were quite a few. Um, I used to try to... My my mother, bless her, very kindly would drive me to, to some of my instrumental lessons when I was getting a bit older. And um, I used to bring into the car everything that I listened to. So I remember trying to get her to listen to, you know, like Rob Zombie or something. And she'd be like, trying to find the good in it, but not, <laughs> you know, tr- really trying. So, you know, there were some things I brought in, like she loved Nirvana, she loved Bush, Radiohead, uh, Placebo, all of the kind of alternative rock kind of stuff that I was listening to when I was a kind of younger teen. She really enjoyed, actually, and even quite a lot of metal, to be honest. Deftones she quite enjoyed and anything that had a melodic enough element amongst the yelling, basically. Yes. Do you know what I mean? Nothing too uh, crash, nothing yeah. too, you know, wall of sound noise. Um, but she was pretty enthusiastic, actually. And so I rarely got told to turn it down, which is good. But, you know, I've I've always been quite shy. So the headphones were frankly always on. Anyway, so what I was listening to, she probably didn't know, but um, <laughs> there was never any kind of major arguments about music volume. So I'm um, either I had it quiet or they were cool. Very, I'm not sure which, cool. but probably both. Probably both. My mom was the same with Slipknot. I remember the first album came out, and I picked it up through my friend Vince. Said the story many times on the podcast, and uh, she she was she found something she appreciated. The drumming is good. I like the drumming. I can I can see that the drumming is good. Yeah. Parents very sweetly trying to trying to be enthusiastic about it and just not quite not quite getting it. But to be honest, I think as as parents realize kind of this is something that is a genuine interest for somebody. It's not just you trying to be annoying. You know, you're you're actually interested in this stuff and it's it's doing something for you positively as well. You're listening to it and it's feeding emotions and it's letting you kind of feel all this weird teenage shit that you feel and it's kind of you know, accompanying you on that journey. I think they actually become cool about it and they kind of appreciate it and understand what it's for a little bit, you know? Hmm. Hopefully I'll keep that in mind when my kids are teenagers and they start listening to strange things that I don't understand. I hope that I well, keep exactly it. what you just said in mind that they, if it's, it's a cathartic experience for them and I hope that I remember yeah. that. Yeah, Well, that's it. I mean, I feel like a lot of people who enjoy heavy music are greatly appreciative of lots of other styles. Absolutely. Whereas... The people who like other styles often aren't very appreciative of other things. They kind of like their one thing and that's that. So I think as heavy music listening and appreciating people, I think we're destined mm. to be cool. We're fine. It's because metal is such a vast term. The, the, mm. the, the umbrella of what is considered metal is so wide. Very much. Very which much is a so. cool thing. And the elitism mm, needs to go away, people. So stop, stop being elitist metalheads. Come on. No, it doesn't help. It doesn't help. <laughs> I'd love to hear about your first shows. Do you remember the first show that you went to go see? The first one that really sticks in my mind. I went to see Garbage. Oh, yeah. I just saw them this summer with it. So good. Oh, was it wonderful? I, I went and I think I was, a, it was at Wembley and it was the biggest place I'd ever been to. It was just, you know, I think it was somewhere coinciding with the second record. Um, and I remember they had these big inflatable orange backdrop that kind of inflated at some point during the gig. And it was just the most amazing, bizarre thing I'd ever seen. 
And when you're a kid, you just go, oh, I like the music. Shirley Manson's really awesome. Ah, I'll go to this gig. And you don't really think about all this other stuff. And then this other weird production stuff happens and it just blows your little brain, you know. And I mean, in terms of memorable first shows, I mean, I, I went to my first show of tiny little gigs in pubs of bands that I can't remember. But that show and also um, there was a show, it was Deftones, Linkin Park and Taproot together at oh, London Excel Centre, which doesn't exist anymore. It's a, you know, tra- trade you know, um, exhibition centre or something now. But that was, I think, 2000. And I think I went with a couple of pals from school and that was just like mind blown. You know, it was amazing. It was really great. And I was so proud of myself for buying the Taproot record and like learning it and listening to it and being like, yeah, the support band's going to be great, you know. And it was just cool. Like I'd never really, you know, paid that much attention to this stuff before. So I was super excited and it was brilliant, honestly. I wish I could like go back in time and relive those experiences or like, or like be that not the naive is the word that comes to mind, but it's not the right word. But Inexperienced of production stuff of what happens on a stage and just experience and be like, wow, that's amazing. Cause now when I go to a show and stuff like that happens, I'm like, I'm at, how did they do that? Like, how do they carry that? And <laughs> it takes away from the mystique and all of a sudden you're not experiencing it. Cause you're, you're trying to analyze how they did it. Absolutely. I always feel like it must be an absolute pain to be a movie anyone who works in the movies because you just can't enjoy any night of the week ever every tv show is going to be ruined by you going to go oh i know that oh yeah no i did that other thing with that guy oh that was oh yeah oh yeah he was really nice oh i'm not sure about oh how'd they do that you know and it's i actually saw an interesting thread on twitter it was i don't know how i stumbled across it but it was a bunch of guys who work in um like like cgi special effects all of that stuff discussing what their favorite thing that they had done And that their most proud piece of work was for last year, you know, and there's this whole thread being like, oh, I worked on this movie and this scene. I did this. I did the hair on the monster and so and so scene. And all these you realize that each job is so specific and small. I mean, it's like it's like working on a stage show, but in a micro scale, you know, in terms of so many cogs turning to get one scene of one movie happening, you know. So, you know, the amount of effort that goes into something so small is incredible. So you scale that up to an arena gig and mm-hmm. you think of how many hundreds and hundreds of people are working on this gig that you turn up to as a teenager, you know, and like you say, your brain is just like, you don't think yeah. about why it's amazing. It's just <laughs> what has happened. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a life changing experience. And I don't know, I would like to experience that again. Maybe mm-hmm. if I get reincarnated I so. as a person again, I'll be, that's fine by me, you know. I, I agree. I think that would be wonderful That'd to go back cool. to go mm. back and be afraid again too. Because oh, back to that first Slipknot concert, I, I, talk about it a lot. I was afraid, yeah. and 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 it was different being mm. from outside. I'm from Montreal, and it was like my first big concert downtown Montreal. Mm-hmm. Slipknot had just 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 come out basically their first album had just dropped there on tour with cold chamber yeah. it's the classic tour that everyone talks about where they destroyed as an opening band just nobody could stand a chance and i was not ready for a mosh pit mosh pits i <laughs> i did my first circle pit at slipknot at reading and i think it might have been that year 20 i think it was maybe 2000 it was slipknot who else was on i think rage against the machine and um i think placebo a whole bunch of bands and i, I this was Way back in the day when Reading and Leeds was a bit more divided and like heavy music this day, rock, kind of alternative rock this day, da, 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 and, and my pals and I went for just like the heavy day. And 
I had turned around for like two seconds and I was in a circle pit. I didn't mean to be in a circle pit and I just found myself in one. And as a fairly tall person, I didn't really, I wasn't bothered by this, but my good pal Emma, bless her, was about five foot one and just hadn't con- considered this and was wearing like a white puffer jacket in the middle of this circle pit. And the whole thing was just the most bizarre, just full of elbows and teenagers. But it was great. Again, it was one of those first time things that... At the time, you don't realise how kind of important, in a way, that mm-hmm. that experience is to be just kind of flung about in a kind of hapless, teenage, fabulous way. And you, it's not dangerous. You're surrounded no. by people who know what they're doing, but you end up in this bonkers place by accident. And then you just think, hang on, that was great. Let's do it again. You know, it's like going on a ride or something, you know, and I, I was glad to be not afraid by that. Absolutely. Mosh pits are awesome. And I'm actually doing a whole project on them this year called Pit mm-hmm. Culture. I'm releasing a series of beer collabs with metal breweries from across the globe. Actually, it's the first time I talk about it on the podcast. Because oh, wow. uh, by the time this comes out, I imagine I'll have announced more of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so all the beers will have a unique like thematic things that happen in a mosh pit, such as circle pits, uh, walls of death. And because to people that don't know it and they see it, they think that it's violent, but it's not. It's a controlled social oh, ritual. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I was... Um I went to Damnation a couple of years ago. Was it last year or this year? And at some point, Party Cannon had performed. Mm. And I didn't see I it. I love them, yeah. But what I did see was all the fucking beach balls. Yeah. And yeah. I was watching... Oh, I can't remember who it was. Oh, I can't remember what band it was. It was a whacking great pit, anyway, in the main stage. These fucking beach balls bouncing yeah. around and around love. and around and around. <laughs> and you've got this this kind of ridiculous mosh situation surrounded by the most beautifully dainty little bouncing balloons and balls and stuff. <laughs> and it was just this really beautiful kind of, like, it was almost like a Renaissance painting. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> These kind of big, burly guys being really heavily involved, but quite careful about the whole thing, surrounded by this kind of delicate inflatable situation it was one it was honestly it was such a sweet thing to see but um we were watching it from the balcony and just seeing the whole thing kind of wobbling from above was actually really cute (laughs) so i know that like you say from outside everyone goes oh god what's everyone doing to each other but actually it's so gentle do you know what i mean everyone's really taking care of each other in that situation and it's you know everyone's there for the same reason you know and that's very cool i do like mosh pits better from on stage though in my mm-hmm. older life. <laughs> Side of stage, watching other people get sweaty. Yeah. <laughs> How about your first show? Do you remember your very first time on stage? I imagine it had to do with a recital for, for the, the classical classes you were taking. Oh, my very first actual, actual, actual performance. Oh, my God. Um, my piano teacher used to host a little tiny concert at the end of each school term to basically encourage kids to learn that discipline you know getting up in front of people and playing their thing and it was you know it was in like the local church hall and you know there was nothing no no money it was just very kind of everyone come and show their you know little thing and I was you know for, for many many years very 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 shy so you know the idea of going up and playing in front and I was always very worried about what will they think will they think I was bad oh petrified of being judged at aged six you know there's not really an attitude a tiny kid should have but I've always been like that really and so it was probably some little nursery rhyme or something you know probably like the most basic like these concerts were for 
the kind of 18, 19-year-old 19 kids who were like whizzing through kind of beautiful repertoire and kids playing Bar Bar Black Sheep. You know, everybody was involved and everybody was taking part and that was great. And I think even though I was petrified, you know, I went and I did the stuff and, you know, I think gradually you find a way to at least be okay with mm -hmm. it, let alone... You don't, you don't have to be happy, but you'd have to not be petrified, you know. So it's that that fine, fine line in the middle there. But those were, yeah, I, I remember very much the room and that smell, that kind of, kind of wood panelling and kind of, you know, early 90s, like, party dress to try and, like, you know, dress up because it's the cool concert, you know. And, um, you know, it definitely was something that kind of started a ball rolling, I think, even though at the time I was freaked out, you know. It's, it's it's a tough thing getting up on stage and and, and displaying something that you've you've been working on oh, at yeah. any age at any mm. but for a six year old and for it to be so tough mm. must have been like the apprehension leading up to it. I remember I had that, oh. but it was for for uh, I was in a swim meet like um where we'd go do like competitions. Yeah, oh, yeah, and I I would dread like months weeks leading oh into it. Oh my god, it. yeah. Mm. So scary. <laughs> well, that's the thing is, like, I always remember later, later on in my life, my, one of my teachers saying, like, there's always going to be somebody better than you and there's always going to be somebody worse than you. So don't stress, you know, do all the practicing at home, spend your time worrying about your tuning and your rhythm and everything. And when you get to it, don't think of anything. Just sit down and do it and focus on just telling like a story or conveying an emotion or whatever sack off all the worrying about the fingers and the all the technical shit just ignore that now just go just do and even though i still find it a bit you know i don't get nervous or anything anymore like gigging is my like i feel comfortable doing it now it's, it's such a kind of you know i enjoy the environment but it is just a case of just not thinking about anything and just do and getting to that point takes a long time i think in any discipline it doesn't have to be music it could be anything that's true. That's that's very true, and, and it's it's interesting that your your teacher gave you all that like, let it all go and tell a story because mm -hmm. that's absolutely what you do with your songwriting. It's it's oh thank you. I'm it's glad it's it unbelievable. <laughs> I have a whole thing about lyrics later, but let's just talk. Tron, as the moon mm -hmm. rests, came out October seventh. I've listened to it countless times. I listened to it this morning, um, and then I was like, oh, I'm I'm d doing this. And Jessica, my wife, and she's like, oh, she's like, oh, you listen to this all the time. I'm like, I know, I listen to this all the time. It's it's. <laughs> I'm sorry, Jessica. I, no, 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 no. Shits. There's uh, there could be worse <laughs> CDs. <to that. laughs> and she's into metal, but um, <laughs> there could be worse CDs that I can listen to all the time. But uh, I found myself just captivated by it, uh, and again, and I listened to it again. I shared it to all my friends and the review crew. We all, I have a review crew for the podcast. We all list our top tens every year, and I was the only one that had. I was like, it's not much metal this year, but. It's okay because I, I, it's really what I listen to the most, and mm. I had to put it first. It's just there's something Amazing. there, and I put it on Exclaim.com, which is a big magazine, a online magazine over here. I got mm -hmm. asked for my top album of the year, and I listed Amazing. it there as well. Thank you. It's just so cathartic. Is is the word? I was a fan of Forever Blue, but this one touched me deeper. I feel like it's more guitar driven. I know that Forever Blue, a lot of it was like demo stuff that you did in your house because of the pandemic and then it ended up just being like that and you sort of accepted mm -hmm. it and I'm glad you did because you could have also been like Cryptopsy and wait 
five years to release your next record. Oh, yeah, exactly. It's coming. It's coming, people. But uh, <laughs> uh, t- talk to me about it. The, the first question basically is uh, going more guitar-driven because mm-hmm. the whole record is much more guitar-driven versus the more piano-based stuff that you used to do. Yeah. I mean, the big factor between Forever Blue and As the Moon Rest was that I had way longer on the production side, way more time to spend on the demo side, more time for everything. And this is really a a pandemic-induced situation. You know, whether I would have had all of that time, I don't know. But I meant I could have a good few months just kind of once the right the 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 early early writing stage is done which is basically me headphones computer microphone instruments just shut myself in a bubble for some months basically once that's done and then it starts to become a case of layering instruments and just kind of massaging the arrangements into being the right kind of vehicle for this kind of basic information you know text melody all of that stuff that process was able to take I took, I think there was a good couple of months over that because it's so important. For me, the demos are such similar. They're basically the same as the album. It's not like I go into the studio and then spend ages fucking about to decide what I'm going to do. Because to me, that's not only a way to waste money, ultimately. Like, I don't need to figure it out there. I'll figure it out at home, you know. Um, But also, if I go in with a plan, it's just everything's quicker. It's much easier to figure out what equipment you need, what time you need. All of that stuff's so much simpler. So I would rather take that time out of the studio environment and sit there at home or now I have a studio. So very gratefully, I can not have to do that in my living room anymore. Um, But to sit there and really spend time working on parts, tones, all of that stuff. So because of that, I had way more time to fuck about with amps and guitars and pickups and mic techniques and all sorts of stuff, which I didn't get a chance to do the first time around. So that is one of the main reasons that it's more guitar driven is not because I didn't want Forever Blue to be guitar driven, but the kind of factors with the production and the speed at which I had to get it made basically didn't give me enough time to spend that long playing around with those things as much as I would have wanted to. So now, given the time and the, you know, the luxury of having more studio time as well, meant that I could basically and a bigger guitar collection, frankly, than I had last time. So (laughs) that helps too, you know. Well, I'm very happy that it is because it's um, it's dark. It's 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 brooding. It's um, it's heavy, despite it not being maybe once again back to the umbrella of metal. It definitely falls in the category of metal because it's so dark and and brooding. Brooding is the word that keeps coming to mind. Um, I read that you you write a lot of the melodies first and then the piano comes in next uh the orchestration after that uh the melodies though because i think that's one of the things about the record that captivated me so much is that there's so Mm -hmm. many earworm just catchy that first track so how does that come about is that just something that came naturally to you writing these these catchy earworm melodies or did you have to work at i think it does to a point you know i certainly don't want to be writing songs that people forget within five minutes you know that has i have no urge to do this you know i don't want to write a song that's got nothing to it you know so i feel like it's not necessarily just a vocal melody but just all of the melodies you think well you you write you know i i often spent time just with a guitar and just sitting just mucking about seeing what comes out and that's the very 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 first part 
of the writing process. But during that time, there will be, you know, you kind of, I have quite loads of voice memos on my phone, which are like 20, 30 minutes long, which are basically me trying to find that, you know, you start with kind of this spectrum and it becomes narrower and narrower as you start to crystallise exactly what you want. And you know where you want the melody to go and the rough shape of it, but to actually find it, you know, I think it's just a case of giving it the time and really mucking about with all of your possible options because you could sing any note in any order, you know, and it would be good or bad or terrible or brilliant, but you've got to try. You can't just come up with something and then that's that and that's how it goes and that's the end. It's like, well, you know, it's not my vibe. I would rather spend an hour or two on that to make sure it's as good as it can be from me at this time. Do you know what I mean? And so even though my intention isn't to like, let's write some catchy melodies, I do want that to happen. Do you know what I mean? It's not like the big goal. It kind of comes naturally now to a point. But I don't really know if they're catchy until people like you come and tell me they're catchy, you know, because I think they're catchy because I put them there, you know. So until other people start to have opinions and, and to come to the shows and you can see now, I mean, doing the headline tour in the winter, it was interesting to see which things people sing to. Do you know what I mean? And which riffs kind of catch people? Yeah, no. So you can see their ears pricking up when they know a certain thing's coming, which is interesting because I haven't had that, didn't really get that experience with Forever Blue so immediately after releasing. So it was interesting to kind of, you know, for me, everything's a learning curve still. You know, I feel so at the beginning of this kind of hopefully long trajectory, but it still feels like I'm doing the first of this and the first of that and the first of this, that, you know, seeing how those melodies respond to people much like seeing how more guitars fit in and all of this stuff that kind of every change you make you think oh is anyone going to like it how's it going to go what's going to happen you know so if people are telling me they're catchy I'm proud with what I've done I'm pleased that they're catchy I want people to remember them and you know that's that's the main goal really they're so catchy I have one in my head right now but uh I, I sorry. Want to, I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, I love it. Um, Great. I've been talking a lot about mental health throughout the past year on the podcast, and I'm going to tie in as the moon rests into this. Um, the lyrics are very cathartic. It's, they sound cathartic. And I've read that when you were young in school, you, you would go lock yourself in the bathroom at five years old trying to fix yeah. whatever was going on in your mind, that, no, the darkness. Yeah, I used to, so, yeah, to hide would... from the public that, that there was something oh, bothering yeah. you. Oh, always. I was very, very kind of, you know, if I fell over in the playground or something, I would go and try and deal with it on my own. Really? Where where does that come from? Yeah, I have no idea. Do you know what I mean? There was never any sort of trigger event or any sort of traumatic situation which triggered this to happen. I think I've just always been a bit like that, you know, and I will still do that. You know, I will still try and quietly fix things without having to make a thing out of it. It's just always been like that. And I think I'm certainly more open with dealing with stuff and certainly more open... I think the writing process in itself is a very helpful thing from a kind of from the perspective of crystallizing how you feel about something and having to do so and put it in such words that it is understandable, you know, logical and also having to make it sound nice. It's, you know, it's, it's actually quite an undertaking and obviously not everything is 
you know, hugely literal because, you know, we'd be here forever. Um, but certainly the inspiration comes from in here and I'm trying to explain it rather than me being inspired by all sorts of stuff and trying to put it down. Do you know what I mean? So in terms of that, I mean, I've always felt shy. I've always felt quite, well, very self-conscious, quite is rubbish, very self-conscious in all ways, really. And so kind of now as I get older, I guess you kind of start to find ways of dealing with that and you accept that actually that's okay. You know, you're still getting on with life, getting on with whatever you need to do. And, you know, your relationship with yourself is purely one part of an existence. It's not a defining feature. And for me, I don't want it to be a defining feature. It is a part of me as a person, but it is not the only thing there is. Do you know what I mean? Like anybody, you know, if you have issues with certain things, you might also be really good at cooking or baking or you might really like animals or whatever it is that is other stuff that makes you a you do you know what I mean so for me using the songs as a way of understanding kind of sadness is a great part like a part of a greater thing I suppose does that make sense you're looking at me like no, I'm no, I, crazy no, or I'm saying no, good things <laughs> no I like it very much good, uh, good. It, it is a big part of you and I'm glad that it mm. is sadly and it's a shitty thing to say because mm. The, the lyrics I don't are know very what cathartic. I would do without it. <laughs> yeah, they really are. Very cathartic. So, so when you, you, you get the melodies all down, you, you, you're content with, you, you've layered that, that voice memo to the perfect ear-catching melody, the earworm melody, and then it comes time to put words to it. How, how does that go down? Is it like off the top of your head, and, mm. or is it really like a... I write concept albums is how my brain works. That's how I do mm. cryptopsy i don't see this as a concept i see like every track has its own story yeah you're right you're right how does that come about like how do you how do you approach each song i would say that within the process of trying to finalize melody often the odd word will pop in that fits a particular rhythm or the, the odd couple of words will fit into a particular place and sometimes they're rubbish sometimes complete bollocks but sometimes you think, hang on a minute. It's hard to replace those sometimes. When <laughs> yeah, sometimes you're like, I'm not writing a song about carrots. We're going to have to fix this, you know. And what rhymes with like, carrots? Oh, exactly. You just think, I can't even, I can't take myself seriously. I can't do that. I'm sorry. Um, but you know what I mean? So, so a word will fit itself in subconsciously and then you kind of decide, are you keeper or are you going to get binned off, you know? And during that process, once the rough melody is in, it's not necessarily going to be perfect at this point, but there will usually be a kind of rough sketch of a structure of this song. There'll be like a kind of rough guitar part or a piano or something indicative of harmony anyway. And I will sit and I will basically chop it all up into sections and then just experiment with the structure and just make sure I'm completely happy with the rough outline of this. And then I basically sit down with a thesaurus and sit there just trying to build on what I've already got from those individual words and literally just trying to occasionally help myself out with the thesaurus if I'm like I need a better word for this word this word isn't working or I need a word that says this but is more syllables and I can't think of one there's only so much going around in circles you can do you're just like I just need a bit of inspo here and just and then sometimes you just flick through and you go ah it and you spot it just it's a little kid's one from 
My husband bought it on eBay for me. It's like little kids one from school, like a little pocket size thing, tiny. But it's brilliant. You know, if you're just that's a great just idea. Need a little, yeah. It's really helpful because I mean, it's it saves mucking about trying to Google it all and all of that rubbish. But sometimes you you can't do it all just in here. You just need a little bit of inspiration sometimes. And so I find if I've got a rough intention for a song and I just need a better word for whatever, you know, um, I don't know, for argument's sake, sad, whatever, you need something just a bit more glamorous sounding. But then that will in itself inspire the whole thing and you'll end up with a whole thing just from this one word that you found that you were trying to just you know just zhuzh up a little bit just put a bit of seasoning it's like on it, a you know? dam that's like blocking your creativity when when we hit those yeah. roadblocks and then you pull it out and then it's like whoosh, all these roads absolutely open up. and then the whole thing because you then think about rhyming and the structure of your verse and everything and lo and behold actually the whole thing then just flows and you think oh, thank you this one of those moments yeah. thank you and so generally speaking i don't ever sit down and go right today i'm going to write a song about this thing you know a lot of it the same with the melodies it all just kind of you almost enters like a meditative state when you write what well, I do, certainly. And it just kind of, it almost like it kind of is flowing without me asking it to do it. And for me, that's great. And I don't want to fuck with the methodology. So I just carry on doing the thing. <laughs> um, so, you know, I'm not going to add any more things into the mix. I'm just going to stick doing it the way I do. But I think it works. It does work. So I'm just I was carry on. Well, it's working, so keep <laughs> oh, doing it. Thank you. Um, uh, at what point, you know, like back to the, the you being young and, and worrying what people are thinking, at what point in your life did not only music but writing specifically help you? At what point did you realize that this could be something that helps me cope with these negative f- vibes? I didn't really start writing for a long, long, long time. I was. You know, I was a classical musician, so I was very, very content no, performing other people's music. Yeah, well, no, allowed. I just didn't, just didn't, didn't try. Really, I was quite happy just being a little cog in a big machine, ultimately, and just kind of doing my bit and kind of not being centre stage. Ultimately, kind of contributing conveniently from the distance. You know, this was always kind of how I wanted to do things you know I was very happy not to write and not to I never really explored it to be honest and then you know I I started kind of playing around with I thought guitar let's try guitar right let's have a bash because I just thought sometimes I just had an urge to make more noise than I could ultimately yeah. with a kind of acoustic piano instruments. And, and only, cello right piano we're, we're cello the, the, it's like you can do some stuff with this but there is only so much so I thought I need to plug something in you know, need to press some buttons and create some disasters. And as a way of learning the guitar, which I didn't know how to play, just kind of acquired one and, you know, the rest is history. But as a way of learning the instrument, I thought, well, I've got to write some songs. Don't really want to play other people's riffs because, yeah, it's not that's really funny, That's fun funny thing. That, that classically, you, that's all you wanted to do. But then as soon as you started making some noise and creating some disasters... That's the moment where you're like, I don't want to play Nirvana. I want to do my own thing. Yeah. No, I was like, do I want to just play ACDC? No. Nah, it's all in the same key. No, thanks. You know, I was like, what am I going to do with this? Like, I want to do more than just play other... Because what do you do then? You just sit in your house playing a riff around and around in circles for nothing. Like, what? What do you ta- where do you take that? What do you do with it? You know, this is... I've never been the kid who forms a band when they're like 11 and goes and makes a racket in a garage and, and does that. That's never been... It's not not a thing for me, you know, so I've never approached it in that way. So coming to it as an adult and being like, right, 
guitar. Cool. How do we play it? Let's stick it in an easy tuning and write some stuff and see what happens. And this is the point at which I start singing as well, which is not a thing I'd ever really done. Never learned, was petrified at the sound of my own voice, let alone amplified. Are you kidding? Interesting. Um, but they must have so taught you voice. This... You, you learned voice throughout all the your 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 classical training. No, I imagine. No, I did. I've never never learned. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that again. That's that's that came with the learning of the guitar. It was like, well, if I'm going to write a song, uh, no one else is going to sing it. So uh, I'm going to have to learn to do that as well. You know, because again, I was to say I was absolutely petrified. Like when I was at school. Even the idea of like putting your hand up in class and reading an answer because you thought it might be wrong. So I was worried people would laugh. So I didn't say anything. I just, do you know what I mean? Is that kind of. There, there, there is a thing about like tall people. And I, yes. I could be completely wrong here, but tall people I tend to be I shy. Think, and I had a friend that was very tall is... and she would hunch over to make mm. herself seem not Honestly, like the tall girl if you of the class. are if you are like seven years old and you're like a good foot taller than everybody else it fucks you because it is the one thing you cannot do anything about <laughs> do you know what i mean <laughs> and like, then all you of know, the high school based basketball coaches are like chasing you <laughs> <laughs> yeah right i mean i was the tallest kid in my primary school when i was about nine ten I was like five foot six before I even went to secondary school. You know, I was a tall kid. And now by normal other people's standards, I'm like a tallish but not ridiculously tall person. And it's okay now, I don't mind. But it really screws you because I grew very, I grew a lot quicker than other people as well. It wasn't so much that I, I got taller, like some of them are now tall. But at the time, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, I was it's just here some and people. they were here. Like, you know, <laughs> and how are you not meant to feel self-conscious and that you mm-hmm. stand out when that's happening, you know? I remember we had this pitifully small, they called it a swimming pool, but it was basically like big puddle. Like it was just very, very, very tiny at my primary school when I was very small. It doesn't, it's not there anymore. Um, But I remember we had these swimming lessons and you'd get like a little ribbon if you passed a certain, like if you could do certain tasks and you went to try and get all your ribbons. And it was just a good way of teaching kids exercise ultimately, but also kind of swimming lessons, a good thing for kids. And I remember... By the time I'd fit, I was finishing this this school, the water came up just above my knees. Oh my gosh! Okay, it was like, what am I doing? Do you know what I mean? And I, this pool is designed for like eight year olds, and I'm like, what yeah. am I? What is going on? Like, I can't can't do anything about it. Do you know what I mean? And it just makes you so self conscious, and you just want to like swathe yourself in material and be left alone. Do you know what I mean? Because it just you just worry so permanently about sticking out, which you do ultimately. You can't help it. But that formed like a whole lifetime of wanting to not be noticed, basically. And it's not anything that you could fix or change or do anything about. You can't just casually like you can't go and get like a shrinking operation or something like that doesn't exist. (laughs) Um, You know what I mean? So so I guess that's the one thing. But when I was very, very tiny, even I felt a bit, you know, very shy. And I, at this point, was not six foot. So I don't know what happened at that <laughs> tiny point. But. Well, you had yeah. that plus being the tallest person. It was like a combination. Mm, that's it, I think, quite possibly. Ex- ex- but, you exponential. Know, yeah, exactly. Well, we can't go back and do anything about it now. No, so we can't. We will wear I, heels I on stage and we will own it. Yeah. That's what we're going to do. <laughs> that is what you do now. You know, what, what do you do? You end up becoming a musician wearing stilettos that, and shouting at people yes absolutely I, love but it. I, I did cut you I'm off fu- before though with my tall comment about um being shy about your voice I, i'm not sure if you had finished no that. no 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 i mean 
I think I was shy with the voice just because it was part of everything else. You know, it was like I put I wasn't not shy about any bit of me. Do you know what I mean? Every bit was got the same treatment. So um, <laughs> I didn't need to sing. Do you know what I mean? And and I didn't really. I, n- I never kind of secretly sang. Do you know what I mean? I wasn't one for kind of singing a lot kind of in the shower or like when my parents were out or didn't do any of that. So it was really a learning curve when I started writing. It was just a bit of a experiment, really. I just thought, well, I'm in my house. No one can hear me. From shit, doesn't matter. Was that scary when you like released that first material? I, I, I'm just imagining oh. being you and stepping into your mindset of everything yeah, that I've heard so far. I, mean, I imagine it must have been like that first when you're clicking that send button. Yeah. Have you noticed now Apple have got an undo send? on your phone now yeah Uh, so i noticed this the other day i didn't didn't update and it gives you 10 seconds to go oh okay no i don't have that one yet (laughs) which i'm not gonna use but (laughs) i do think it's kind of fun not that i've Mm. you know felt the need to use it but it's cool but no it was interesting because i thought well i have not been in that situation that a lot of people are in who maybe they form a band with their pals and they go play pubs and they go play their friends and they they kind of build it up that way so they are they know what people think of them. Do you know what I mean? They have some sort of groundwork upon which to build. They know people have an expectation because they've seen them play shows or they did their show with their friend's brother and blah blah blah. Do you know what I mean? There's there's a more there's more around it. Whereas I released this EP and I had no idea if people were gonna like it, no idea if what I was doing was kind of of any relevance not necessarily just musically but in terms of the text and all of this stuff are people just going to go oh my god sad woman off you know I I don't know (laughs) so you know it's really you know I'm so 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 grateful that you know a few people took a punt on it basically because it really was a big boost in terms of you know confidence and thinking you know what you can use these tools that you've got to do something that you actually feel okay about which is really weird because i would have never in a million years talking to the tall shy person i would have absolutely never in a million years imagined that i'm wandering out on stage singing singing (laughs) down a microphone amplified massive bloody voice full of fucking reverb and delay like really fucking singing at people who were there out of choice you know it's bonkers you know, when I think about it still, I just think, what is going on? You know, this is crazy and I love it, but it's weird still. And I'm not sure if I feel it's a bit of, it's like um, you put on the kind of gig hat, you know, you get onto stage and the kind of gig hat's there and you're thinking about it in a different way to you as an individual having a coffee on the weekend. You know, it's a different kind of you. Absolutely. So I feel like you nurture it differently, you, you give it different attention you treat like you say about the rituals at the beginning of your day and you know I don't have those rituals in other parts of my life I have different rituals that I you know that that keep me kind of grounded and normal you know but you know the tea and the getting ready and all of this stuff this is all part of that kind of process of becoming that person for the evening you know and even you know going out and chatting to people after the show and going out and hanging out at merch and stuff you know I'm a socially awkward person you know i find that environment it is weird and i do find it strange and i enjoy meeting people for sure and i enjoy discussing things with people and and finding out that they enjoy the record and all of this stuff is really cool but for somebody who's very self-aware having people tell you that 
they think a thing you did is good. It's really weird sometimes. Do you know what I mean? Or it's like if somebody compliments, you go, oh, you look really good today. Da, da, da. That's really weird. I find it so like I'm to- totally <laughs> taken aback by it and I don't really know what to do. Does that make sense? Absolutely. In any yeah. way. Yeah. I don't know. So I find it an odd one. So the gig hat stays on until everyone's out of the room because, you and know. you can relax. That's for me. That's exhausting yeah. a little bit though. It is. It honestly, is. honestly, that's exhausting. Yeah. Yeah. It's knackering. But Which is why you I need remember. a break. Yeah. yeah, definitely. It's not from the definitely. touring. It's from the socializing no. after the it's touring. It's that. It's that as well. You know what? Because to be honest, on this tour, the first few shows we didn't. I didn't go out to merch because I thought, well, I've never done this many gigs in a short space. I have no idea how my voice is going to cope. I think it will be fine, but I don't want to risk it. So I'm not going to go out because ultimately you go out to merch. That's another hour. Oh, it's the worst, yeah. It's really the worst for a voice, that. uh. And, you know, so I thought, well, I don't want to take the piss here. So let's get into it a bit and see how it feels and see how, you know, and then maybe on some nights pop out for a little bit. And to be honest, within about two weeks of the tour starting, I was there every day. But actually... The voice was fine. You just got to take care of it, look after it as if it were a small puppy, you know, you know, kind of care for it delicately and all of this. Don't drink. Don't drink like me. Yeah. No. (laughs) It's funny because I call it with my wife too. I call my wife with with Jessica. I call it the voice. The voice worked (laughs) as if it's an entity, you know. (laughs) Oh, it is. It has its own opinions. Yeah, absolutely. You can just blame it. The voice. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's a good one. We have. I realized over the summer one of my least favorite things is preparing the backline at a festival behind a band that are playing oh so yeah. yeah and trying to understand like basic shit like where are we loading off where do the empties go which one's ours like all of that shit you can't do it without shouting at everyone it is absolutely impossible to ascertain any of this and i realized it at Hellfest. we were backstage and i was yeah. trying and oh, they're i so lost good. my the, voice the crew is amazing Oh my god, they are the incredible! I would play. Yeah. I would willingly play Hellfest every yeah. year until I'm dead. It's amazing, but I'd lost my voice in the summer, wow. and it was the yeah. first gig back was Hellfest, and so this is all good. And I was like, well, this would be fine. But then trying to just glean any of this information, meanwhile, whoever it is is like thrashing about behind a curtain. You can't do it without shouting at people, and you're trying so desperately not to yell. But you're like. Where's the empties go? Which one's ours? Where do we load off? Where yeah. the fuck's Pete? You know, all of this, you can't you can't do it without it and it's impossible. I need to I think I need to learn sign language and I'm only half joking really. I think no, musician I, I, sign language, yeah. it would be really good. Singer sign language. I think that's another podcast we need to deal Singer with. Singer sign language. <laughs> well, with a with a record like As the Moon Rests, uh, you, you you won't need to do any of that stuff anymore soon. So <laughs> you'll just walk on stage and they'll hand you the guitar and oh, be okay. Oh, just emerge from the heavens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effie Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, 
Jeremiah Freights from the Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. I'm doing a new segment called Fight the Hops, uh, where Mm -hmm. I ask my guests about a small goal that they're working on right now. Uh, something that they would like to improve upon in themselves, whether it be their business, whether it be personal uh, fitness. Um, what are you doing right now to fight the hops? I am trying to learn to say no sometimes. I'm not very good at that. I say yes to everything thinking that I should and don't think for a second whether it's actually something that's good for me to do or will kind of screw my mental health in the process. So things like deadlines and stuff. If I can't make something, I'm just going to say, no, sorry, I'm not able to do that. Can we do this instead? You know, whatever. So I'm trying to learn to do that. (laughs) Not that I'm that good at it, but I'm I'm trying. And also just trying to kind of, I'm quite good at having, you know, we discuss routines and this kind of thing, but trying to kind of segment kind of work and life kind of as two slightly more separate entities i managed to move my work stuff out of my house i was i was gonna ask about that in the summer you got the the studio now because before you used to write in your house and now having it outside the house you can separate those two worlds oh absolutely it's brilliant and also just the, the logistical stuff you know being able to set your stuff up and leave it no one's gonna get in there nothing's gonna you're not having to clear it all off the kitchen table and yeah. have your tea and put this it all back what, on this again. This is what's you know? happening right here. I know, exactly, right? I, I feel your pain. I did the entire EP on a tiny kitchen table um, in a very small house. Well, flat, even tiny thing. And um, I think there are pictures of this this table. I'll try and dig one out. And it's um, just a mountain. But, you know, every every day you've got to clear the mountain, have your dinner and put the mountain back on again. So, oh, okay. you know, not 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 having to do that anymore. I'm really grateful for that. But now it's just a case of making sure I really make use of it because I don't want to guilt trip myself into like, you know, it, feeling bad if I don't go in one day or whatever. You know, I don't want to don't want to go down that habit. Hole, so. No, no, you can't rush creativity. It's going to come to you. And uh, you, exactly. have, you always have your phone's voice memo to to record those oh my god yeah no no they they happen a lot too i've got a couple of guitars (laughs) at home still so they uh the voice memo bank is um still there that's good that means there's there's more material coming which makes me happy oh definitely Uh, definitely vox and hops i love making collabs i have released 60 collabs i have 20 30 in the works for this year wow. Beer collabs specifically i've made teas before as well with pitch black north the satanic tea company for cryptopsy i've made coffees wow. before uh what would be the perfect aa williams collab it doesn't have to be a tea and like it'd be anything it could well be anything. my one drink of choice is gin so i would love one day to make a black gin Ooh, i don't know I if like that, that exists or not but imagine that gin is a very london thing you know, I mean, many, many moons ago, gin was cheaper than water. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> many, many eons ago. Um, yeah, I think uh, black gin would be very cool. That would I be remember. nice. What would Failing you call that, it? Yeah. Oh. Mm, I don't know. It's hard to find something that's not too miserable. You can't call it like misery gin, can you? <laughs> <laughs> you know? Drown yourself. Know. Drown yourself. Drown in your misery. sorrows. You know, drown your sorrows <laughs> in the AA Williams signature charcoal gin. I don't know. <laughs> something like that. I'm sure we could find a way. Oh, I love man. It. 
I have one last question for you. Uh, sure. You mentioned that it does not happen to you very often on tour because uh, you just don't want to go through all the extra stress of everything in that condition. But every mm-hmm. once in a while, it happens to everyone. What is your hangover cure? Oh, I think the big key is making sure you've slept enough. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Waking up and going, oh, hang on a sec. This is bad. Oh, and you, you know, things good. are kind of a little bit wiggly and you feel a bit icky. And the only way to do that for me is just to go back to bed. A couple of hours, wake up and you'll be hungry and have something to eat and you're fine. But if you have to get up, that's the problem. Do you know what I mean? If you have to force yourself through that kind of icky couple of hours. And, you know, that's the environment where maybe a coffee or something, it can go one of two ways. Like it either <laughs> fixes you or terrible things take place, you know. So I would rather just try to sleep a couple more hours and then I can deal with just feeling a bit, mm, that's fine. But it's all the other stuff that goes on in that first couple of hours that are just hell for me. So um, just trying to get a bit more shut eye, I think, is the... Uh, the boring, sensible version. No, no, it works. You're, you're right. You're right. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough with the little kids in my house, though. They don't let me sleep. It's okay. It's, they didn't drink no. the beer. I just, did. Just put your, just put your sound cancelling headphones on and <laughs> put some earplugs inside there and just, just pretend, you know. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Jessica. Take care of the children. Uh, hey, hey, thank you so, so much for hanging out with me. Talking mm-hmm. about life, talking about music, uh, talking a little bit about craft beer. Uh, I mm-hmm. had a blast connecting with you i'm so so happy that uh, we had this conversation um as the moon rests my favorite album of 2022 i will keep listening to it for the rest of my life and i can't wait to uh, finally see you in montreal hopefully or if i'm on tour i would love that oh very that much. would be so nice please oh that would be lovely it's been lovely cheers to you thank you so much cheers Hey, thank you all so, so much for listening right to the end. You know that I love and appreciate that. Man, this was a killer conversation. Now, I say that a lot, but I was just floating after this conversation. A little backstory here. I published that A.A. Williams' As the Moon Rests was my number one album of 2022, as you all know if you follow me on social media. And I received an email from A.A.'s manager, Hayden, asking if I would like to have a chat with A.A. I was beyond stoked when this happened. I was so excited. What an amazing thing to have happen. I was just so excited to finally talk to this artist that I've listened to countless times. I was very, very stoked. The conversation was amazing. I found out a bunch of stuff that I had no idea about, um, which was super, super interesting. And I am even more of a fan now than I was before the conversation. And I love when that happens. Massive guest for a massive episode. I couldn't just put anyone as my 400th episode guest. I'm beyond stoked that I had a chance to have a chat with AA for this episode. Huge cheers to you, AA. I can't wait to meet you in the flesh, to see you perform, to have another chat with you afterwards, to hypothetically share a tea and uh, talk more about uh, all the amazing things that are happening in the world. Massive, massive cheers. I am a huge, huge fan of everything that you're doing. Thank you, AA. 
Now, if you enjoyed this Vox and Hops episode, you should sign up to the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast mailing list. You can do that on my website, voxandhops.com. That's V-O-X-A-N-D-H-O-P-S.com. When you do that, you shall receive one email a week that contains all of the details of everything that has happened in the past week in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast. You will get to see which episodes I dropped recently. You will get to see which episodes I have coming up. You will get to hear about any projects I have in the works before I announce them to the public, such as I did with my massive, massive global beer collab project. That's right. I'm talking about Metal Injection Presents Vox and Hops Pit Culture, which is powered by Yakima Chief Hops. I'm beyond stoked to have teamed up with 26 breweries from around the globe to showcase what is actually truly happening in mosh pits with beers named such as Circle Pit, Stage Dive, Wall of Death, Crowd Killer, Headwalk. The names just keep going. The music over the course of the years has evolved, but the moves have remained the same. Get in the pit. Pit culture is coming. Go to my website, voxenhops.com slash pit culture, and you will find out more information about pit culture, and you can see where and when all of these amazing collabs will be dropping across the globe throughout 2023. By signing up to the mailing list, you will also get to see which albums the Vox and Hops album review crew have reviewed recently, and you will get to see which albums Jerry Monk, the metal architect himself, has added to the Brutal Awakenings playlist. There is always a lot of things going on in the world of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, and I hate when you miss a single thing, so please do me a favor and sign up to the mailing list. The Vox and Hops Metal Podcast is brought to you by Sound Talent Media and Evergreen Podcasts. I am stoked and honored and privileged that I have had the chance to have conversations with so many people to be able to release 400 episodes for Vox and Hops. I can't wait to see what the next 100 episodes bring to the podcast. I cannot thank all of you listeners, you Vox and Hops heads, for being along the ride with me. Some of you have been there since episode number one, and I know who you are, and I appreciate you very, very much. Anyone that has just discovered the podcast recently, you have 400 episodes to go back and check out now because all of my episodes are always available for you to listen to. Massive cheers to you all. I will be back next week with two episodes, one on Thursday and another on Friday. But until then, remember to enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. Cheers, Vox and Hops hits. Hey there, I am Johnny Christ from Avenged Sevenfold, and I've got a podcast called Drinks with Johnny you're going to want to check out. I sit down with a bunch of different people from all different walks of life, from professional wrestlers to actors, comedians, fighters, musicians, everything in between. I'm just looking to make some friends and have a good time doing it. So if that sounds like something you're into, go check out Drinks With Johnny, streaming everywhere now.